Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Beautiful couples, right? Stand with me if you would. We had so many submissions of that. Thank you. You might keep your eyes peeled on social media. We're always asking for things like that. Let's read in Scripture together as we begin. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and see that his wife, or, or let the wife see that she respects her husband. Talking about love and respect this morning. We all need it, don't we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. Let your grace be felt this morning. Father, how we change is by your spirit. So speak to our heart, change our life, make us more like we pray. In the name of Jesus, everyone says, amen. amen. You may be seated. Wave high at your neighbor. If you are sitting next to your spouse or close, grab their hand, look at them and say, baby, we got this. You know, the world that we live in, sometimes that's enough, isn't it? Just looking at your spouse and saying, baby, we've got this. Marriage is not an easy thing. And, of course, we've been talking about that for the last couple weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about that. Here's Will Farrow's take on some of you guys who are looking for somebody to marry. Before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with the slow Internet to see how they really are. <laughs> and we can help you with that because we may have the slowest Internet possible here. here. Uh, uh, Winston Churchill said this, My most brilliant achievement was my ability to persuade my wife to marry me. Of course, he did a lot of good things. Justin Timberlake, let's get a little bit of uh, insight from Justin here. Uh, we have a couple of rules in our relationship. The first rule is that I make her feel like she's getting everything. The second rule is that I actually do let her get away with everything, and so far it's working. Chris Rock says this, only married people can understand how you can be, be miserable and happy all at the same time. That's real marriage right there, isn't it? That's real marriage now. That's real marriage. This is uh, from Ray Romano from Everybody Loves Raymond. Look, you want to know what marriage is really like? Fine. You wake up and she's there. You come back from work and she's there. You fall asleep and she's there. You eat dinner and she's there, you know? I mean, I know that sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. That's true. You wake up, they're there. You go to sleep, they're there. You eat, they're there. Amen? Maybe getting some insight from some culture. But here we look at what Paul is trying to help us understand. And also this same word of advice is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. But Ephesians here, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, love and respect is what we're going to talk about, and it's really one and the same, but it is different because each one of us, as male and female, we interpret things different. So first of all, I, when, I, when I taught, I would always send people home, not always, but I'd send them home with homework. And then I anticipated the next day when I could come back and I could ask them, hey, did you do your homework that you were assigned? Here we go. Did you do your homework? Remember Pastor Mike asked us, did you try to show affection? Did you try words of affirmation? Did you do some acts of kindness? And everybody's, man, I should have took notes and write it down. Yes. So, hey, same amount of homework. I hope this last week you did that. Those things, those just simple things will make your marriage go so much better. 
You know, it only takes one a lot of times. Now, in marriage, it takes two. We know one can set a thousand a flight, and two can set ten thousand a flight. So we can imagine what happens whenever two get together. The story is in Luke chapter 7, and you know it very well. Jesus has been offered to come eat, invited to eat at the Pharisee's house named Simon. He goes into Simon's house, and Simon is there to do anything in the world but honor Jesus. Matter of fact, he doesn't anoint his feet. He doesn't give him any water to wash his hands. He doesn't do all the things that he would have done for other rabbis or other teachers to honor them. Basically, just comes in, here's the table. Jesus throws out the bologna. And if they, anything was good that was set out, it was mostly just so Simon could show Jesus how much stuff he had and how much better he was than Jesus. I mean, it's a crazy atmosphere. Just a couple verses before that, we see that Jesus is chased down by two of John the Baptist's disciples. And they said, we just have one question for you, Jesus, and it's from John, your cousin. Are you the one, as in are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? And Jesus tells John's disciples, he says, follow me. And after a little while, he looks at his disciples and he said, go back and tell John all that you've seen and all that you've heard. Because he knew that would be enough for Jesus, or that would be enough for, for John to say, yes, this is the Messiah. Now, that was really hard news because John was about to be beheaded and Jesus knew that. But remember, we know that he was truly man and truly God. So, you know, it's hard losing friends and family, especially when they love you and support you. And John certainly did that to Jesus. So now he's invited into the house of Simon the Pharisee. And you can tell the load that's on there. I mean, it's an intense situation. You can almost cut it with a knife. We've all heard that expression. Jesus is there in love, trying to spread his love that people would receive. Then all of a sudden, the story shifts. The story begins to tell of this woman, and it's out in the open. It says, this woman was a sinner, a prostitute. She hears that Jesus is reclining at the table of the Pharisee. Without an invitation, she just busts in the door, no doubt. Finds Jesus reclining. And the way that that, what that means is he would have been sitting with his elbow down on the, on the floor like this, probably eating and his feet out in front of him or below him, if you will. And all of a sudden, she comes in and she has her alabaster jar and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. She begins to take her hair and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. With her tears, she begins to wash his feet. And you can imagine in that moment how much the atmosphere of that house changed. We have to ultimately have Christ to help us change our atmosphere in our marriage. But how many of us know that we can do some things to help? This woman began to change the atmosphere of that home. See, it was a home where there was no forgiveness. It was a home where they wanted to dishonor Jesus and dishonor his teachings and who he was who he is and as far as we're concerned is who he always will be amen they want to dishonor that and then all of a sudden because of one woman's actions came in in a humble manner her heart was in the right place submitted herself did what she knew to do and all of a sudden the atmosphere of the entire home changed now it was a place of forgiveness Think about this. Whenever the perfume bottle, the alabaster jar, was poured upon the feet of Jesus, can you imagine the fragrance and the smell that just permeated the entire residence? Now all of a sudden there was a, a, free, a sweet fragrance that was in the home. 
everything changed because of one person's heart that was willing to submit themselves. The atmosphere changed. At the end, Jesus looks at her and says, your faith has saved you. Oh, where there was no salvation, there was no hope, there was no faith, all of a sudden because of one person's actions now, now there's faith, there's hope, there's love. If one person can do that, imagine what two people on the same page can do when their hearts are submitted in the right place to Jesus Christ to strengthen their marriage. We truly believe that better days are to come. If you're in that situation, you say, Pastor Matt, I'm telling you, man, my marriage is strong. Congratulations. That's what we believe. We want it to. But how many of us know that it can still be better? And we don't say that like, oh, you're not doing it good enough. No, there's some things in life that just get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter with time. And God's blessings rain down and you look at it and you say, I didn't know how this could get any better, but it just seems to keep getting better and better and better. We want to recognize that there's a whole ton of marriages like that, and we want you to know that it can continue to get better. We also recognize that there are some marriages that's like, listen, we're really going through a rocky spot right now. It's difficult, man. Two humans entwining their lives together and learning how to agree. I mean, that's difficult. Then there's some who have just gotten married, and you guys are still in the love stage, and you got all that, and it's great. Take notes, because the love stage only lasts so long. <laughs> and you're going to be hoping somebody pours out an alabaster jar and a sweet fragrance happens. And then there's some that's just saying, I think we're done. I don't think there's anything left. But just like this woman's actions, boy, if I could be hick for a second, it ain't over till it's over. You just never know when Jesus gets in the middle of something, how it changes the atmosphere. Women... Respect your husbands. Men, love your wives. Two things that we can all do that would change the atmosphere of our marriage. Two things that would solidify and make our marriages stronger. And from this woman, we can understand that and we can gain that, that there are better days ahead. Wives, respect your husbands and husbands, love your wives. Now, let's go on a little word journey together as we do. We have to understand what it means respect and what it means love. And we have pretty much have that probably outlined in our head. But respect, it's in the King James, it also talks about reverence. And it's an amazing thought that wives respect your husbands. We're going to learn something kind of hopefully today about the psyche of a husband. But there's something that's inside of us that we want respect. We need respect, if you will. And God's called us to that as we lead our home. And Paul here is saying, respect your husbands or show reverence to them. And that word actually means to be afraid of them or to be alarmed. Oh, it's quiet. You guys don't know where I'm going with this, do you? Let's state this first and foremost. Husbands, if your wife is afraid of you, you are doing it wrong. If they don't know what attitude, what mindset... What language, what verbiage they're coming home to, or you're going to walk in their house and they're walking on eggshells, you have got it wrong. It's not biblical. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, we have to look into the context of what Paul's trying to help his readers understand. That there's a reverence, that there's an awe here. Now, not God's awe, not God's reverence. But as a wife, you look at your husband and you hold him in such high esteem that you realize that you respect him. His opinion 
matters more to you than anybody else's opinion. Whenever he says something, you don't look at him and say, well, my daddy wouldn't have said that. (laughs) Not good, man. You're stirring up something on the inside of them because especially if they're really trying to lead. (sighs) Everybody look at your neighbor and say, don't do that, man. Love. Love's an interesting word. Here, as it says, husbands, love your wives. It talks about an encompassing love, a love um, that includes social and emotional and physical and spiritual. It's interesting as Paul writes this because it's it's not just, um, we know there's multiple kinds of loves, right? I love hot dogs, I love sports, I love my wife, I love my dog. You know what I mean? And we talked about that. But this is is that all-encompassing love that you are supposed to love your wife and her socially. You are supposed to love your wife and her emotions. Well, that one's tough, isn't it? We're wired differently. You all-encompassing love. And this is what's interesting. It's actually akin to the word in the Greek that has to do with youthfulness and passion. So what Paul is writing here is, listen, your love for your wife is separate from anything else. It's only second to God. You love him more. But the way that you're supposed to love your wife is like out of your youthful passions that you are to pursue her and get to know her. You are to study her and find out what makes her tick because she is the one that you've searched for and that you loved. That's the kind of love. Now, that's a whole nother love right there. See, we can do this because God has put this in our hearts and our minds. He's asking us as Christians, as ones who've devoted our heart and our life to Jesus Christ and said we're going to do marriage your way, it's marriage a different way, isn't it? Oh, man, and what a privilege and an honor that it is. But we are to love like that. Men, love your wives. Love them deep and intimately and passionate. Love them that drives you to get up and go to work and you think about them all day and you come home. Oh, it's that sappy love that most of us are not very good with. Oh, men in vulnerability, we're not good with it, are we? Oh, it's a struggle because we were taught for most of us you don't show vulnerability, you don't show motion. You stick your feet in the ground and you pound it out, man, and make it happen. Come on, somebody help me out now. You know this is true. And if you're kind of emotional, I mean, you might kind of be a sissy. But God's calling us to that kind of love with our wives. That kind of respect. We we live in an independent world. You're not going to submit to no man. Independence. You don't need anybody. You can take out the trash by yourself. You can do all that. You don't need any help. You pay your own bills. Well, to a certain degree, I understand that. But in an institution of marriage, that's not an attitude that we can bring in. We respect and we love. And Paul really flatlines it with us and and helps us out. So let's read Ephesians chapter 22, verses 30 here. And it'll give us an idea. Because really, what does love and respect, how how does that work? Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife, and also Christ is head of the church, and he is Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let their wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she would be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And once again, we see that great mystery that Paul is talking about. But we also see how he flatlines it for us. You know, one of the things I love is end caps, and that's kind of what this verse 33 is kind of an end cap. I was in Walmart the other day. Now, if you guys are like me, you love Walmart, Target, you love going to those places and spending like 14 hours of your life, right? Love it. No other place I'd rather be. Not, not, not having a fishing pole in my hand at the lake or any of that stuff. You know, I'd rather be in those places. We know that's not true. One of the things that I love about those places is this end caps. What, end cap, what an end cap does is you can look at the end of the aisle and pretty much see what's down the aisle. That's what an end cap does. It brings things out that are really important. So as events happen in culture and different things like that, you walk into the superstore of your choice, and you walk in there and you begin to see end caps, and you can go right to them and know this is the aisle and things like that. That's what Paul is trying to do for us here. Let's end cap this. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. If we can flatline it and do these two things, our marriages will be better and better and better. This is the reason why. Recognizing husbands as a leader, okay? So one of the first things that we have to do is submission in love, okay? So if you want to know, Matt, how in the world is it that we love and that we respect, it's really an act of submission on both parts, Now, hear me on this. I am not saying that the man is not the leader of the home when Scripture clearly teaches that the man is the priest of the home. Amen? Amen. But there is an act of submission from both. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And we love that verse, don't we, men? Oh, yes. I know you're not brave enough to say it, but you quote it to yourself, okay? Every time you get a little talk back, every time you get something you don't like, you're like, well, this is what the Bible says. But you don't say it out loud, but you say it to yourself, and that's okay. I'll speak it for you. You know you do. You know you do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In the garden he prays, not thine will, but yours, O Lord. Not mine, but thine. And he submitted himself. Now, he submitted himself, we understand that. But remember, he died for the church. So there was an understanding there of submission And whenever we submit ourselves, what that means is recognizing husbands as the leader. And and, and don't constantly second-guess your husband. You rip that authority away from them time and time again. And you don't want to do that. But this is the same thing, men. We must recognize wives as a gift from God. They are not a burden. True submission I'm recognizing my wife as a gift from God. God looks down on Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. He's going to get himself in a mess and really mess this up. I'm going to give him a helpmate. Women, our wives, are a gift from Almighty God, and we have to view them as that. They're not a burden. If you really want a hard marriage, make your wife feel like she's a burden. It ain't ever going to be good, I can tell you that. It's not. This is the reason why it's demoralizing. It demoralizes a husband to have his wife not see him as a leader of the home. There's really something that happens. Because there's this natural thing inside of us that God's called us to lead our home. 
men being priest of their home is, is something that's in nature's law, if you will. More families are messed up when men don't lead than when somebody gets in there and really tries to lead as much as they can. And you take, you, you, you take morality away from your husband, if you are, or uh, you, you take his, um, his oomph, if you will, for lack of a better word, because he's trying to lead, and you demoralize him. But the same thing is true. We demoralize our wives when they're thought as a burden and not as a gift to the husband's life. We don't want to live in that kind of atmosphere. So we view our wives as a gift. Our wives view our leadership as a gift. Now, this is really hard, so here's a, couple, here's a, here's a quick warning. This is where it gets hard. Women, if you've had a very strong father figure in your life, praise the Lord. But this is where it gets difficult. Well, my daddy didn't do it that way. You didn't commit your life to your daddy. You committed it to your husband. And if that husband feels constantly compared like he's second, you get a second effort. But it's amazing when people feel like they're first, what kind of effort changes them, comes from them. Wives, husbands to wives now. You had a strong mother figure in your life. Congratulations. That's really, really good. But the last thing, husbands, that you want to do is look at your wife and say, well, mama didn't do it that way. <laughs> well, then you need to call mama to come over here and wash your laundry and take care of the kids. Go ahead and fix some dinner while we're at it. Well, mama spent more time with me. Well, mama's not raising your kids and cleaning your house and washing your laundry. Yeah, she has a little bit more time than I have. You guys still love me? I mean, this is real marriage here. Now, come on now. We're to respect and to love. We both interpret that differently. That's the reason why Paul said, love your wife. You are the number one for me. I don't care how anybody else does it. I care about how you do it. These other men's opinions does not matter to me as much as your opinion and your insight matters to me. Now, this is hard because it's countercultural. But remember, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This will help us out. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman. So, Jesus, uh, so the Lord, um, our God, is handing out um, prescriptions, or in this case, he's handing out um, discipline. And he talks to the woman, I surely will multiply your pain in childbearing, and your pain you shall bring forth children. And all the women sigh. The next part of the verse. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. From the Bible. You want to know why the woman doesn't do it your way? It's not always just because she doesn't think like you, husband. The Bible says that to some degree they're going to be contrary to us, but it is our job to lead them. Look at your wife, look at your husband and say, we're in this together. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. We're in this together. <laughs> it will help us understand our stance and where we're at. Because if I understand that some of it is the sin nature in that person, they're not even intentionally doing this to a degree, then it'll help me have the affection that I need. It'll help me love my wife like I need to, and it'll help me respect my husband like I need to. Submission equals respect to the man and love 
to the woman. Now, how do we submit? That's a great question. How do we submit? Okay? Sharing of the bodies. Now, we're, we, we talked about this a little bit already, but this is very important. It's sharing of the bodies emotionally and physically. We cannot stereotype. Please help me break this stereotype. If you're an emotional man and you have your emotions in order, good for you. I'm learning a lot about being emotionally vulnerable. I'm not always the most emotionally vulnerable person. I've been in leadership positions most of my life, and I just weakness is not something I'm good at showing. And sometimes my wife has to remind me of that. Sometimes my daughter has to remind me of that. If you have your emotions in check, that's healthy. We are to share our bodies both physically and emotionally. It's not one or, but and both. That's what true submission is, is that we share our bodies. Just the thought, selfishness is still the leading cause of divorce. Share. Share our bodies emotionally and physically. Verse 23, he is the savior of our body. There we see it. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So we see that bodies play a role in this. For men or for a spouse, but many times predominantly men in this situation, a wife knowing that she can have her husband's attention emotionally or physically at any time creates a security that is longed for by the woman. We're really good in, in, in either spouse. If your love language is touch, you know, some of our love languages is touch me, touch me, touch me again. Oh, laugh at that. It's okay. You know it is. I get into, I get into meetings with, with men and women. They're about to get married, and we get on the love language. What's your love language? Quality time, acts of service, gifts. And then when I get to the man, they don't want to say it because there's 99% of them is touch. Touch me and touch me. Touch me some more. I'm vulnerable. That's okay, because it's going to be within the bounds of marriage, and God covers that, and it's holy. But we have got to be available emotionally and physically. Availability is true intimacy. Here's one even deeper. Interruptibility is a great sign of how intimate you really are with your spouse. Can they call you throughout the day? Can they visit with you? Can they talk to you? Can they interrupt what you're doing because they have something to tell you? Interruptibility is a sign of intimacy. So we, we share our bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. It's interesting there in the world today, we constantly talk about how the female doesn't give it to the male as much as we think we should. But in Scripture, it is backwards. It says the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, this does deal specifically with sex sexuality, if you will, with sex in the marriage. But it's not, it's not exclusively dealing with that. It's everything within the relationship of a marriage that's intimate. 
As much as no one should step outside of marriage and physically get engaged with a person that's not their wife or their husband, nor should anyone step outside the bounds of marriage and get emotionally involved with somebody like they would their husband or their wife. Equally a sin. Consequences may be a little different, but equally sin. And here in the, in the scripture, it's saying, listen, you have to share your bodies. You have to be emotionally and physically involved. And we understand from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that we're spiritually marked. It says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the seal was the marking. So we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means we're marked in the Spirit. That means as we try to make marriage happen in the big spiritual world realm that we do, that we are marked. There's a spiritual world out there that we don't quite understand. Paul refers to it as we see like types and shadows and we know something's on the other side of the door and we can't really tell but we know that it's real and we know that there's a real spiritual war now if we truly believe which we do that marriage was set up under God by him it is the divine order of things then Satan is going to fight us tooth and nail to destroy it we all know the verse the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour Ephesians chapter 6 talks about how Satan's constantly throwing fiery darts at us. And that's the reason why we have to have the shield of our faith. So we see, so what is Paul trying to say whenever you give each other what you need? What he's trying to say is help us understand that any elongated amount of time, and Pastor Mike did such a great job with that last week, that there is a time that you fast and that you pray and you don't come together, and that's an agreed about a time, and then Paul says you immediately come back together. Why do you do that? Because for any elongated amount of time that you feel rejection, whether it be emotionally or physically, rejection after rejection after rejection, causes a wound a wound makes you vulnerable and you can't handle we cannot handle rejection after rejection after rejection it makes us vulnerable whether it's emotionally or physically that's the reason why we share our bodies together because Satan's on the prowl looking for opportunities maybe we would call it a lack of discipline a lack of self-control and he pounces leads us down a road of temptation, and before we know it, sin comes alive, and death follows. If, if I'm the enemy, one thing that I learned as a coach is that part of the strategy to defeat your opponent was to understand your strengths. We're really fast, or we can really shoot the ball well, or we're strong. Part of the game plan is to learn the weaknesses of your opponent. To study. To understand that. And then in those moments of weakness, pounce. Score a touchdown, make a goal, do whatever. Satan does the same thing with his minions. We have to believe that there's a spiritual war out there. Amen? In that moment of weakness. And we have to do what we can to create that atmosphere of growth and confidence and security to one another. That if I just hold off a little bit longer, I know that my wife and I are going to come together. If I hold off a, a little bit longer, I know that my spouse, my husband or wife, they're a little bit emotionally distanced right now because they're going through some spiritual things, but they're about to rein it back in, and I'm about to get my knee. But when there's no trust and you have rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, it becomes a wound. Wound turns into a vulnerability, and boom, there's a crack in the dam. So to avoid all that, 
We have to share our bodies. We have to submit to one another. Even in times that we do not want to submit, we submit. The atmosphere of your marriage can be better than you ever thought it could be. And it can be better even if it's great now. It just takes the acts of two coming together with the right heart and saying, God, we submit to you, but we also submit to one another. Emotionally and physically and spiritually. We don't want the enemy to find any holes. We don't want the enemy to find those vulnerable places. We don't want those. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 14 helps us understand this. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he. Listen, if you're rolling down a road of temptation, God didn't lead you down that road. Okay, now, he's, he's got you on the road for a plan and purpose, and Satan tempts you. Okay? Now, will there be trials and stuff like that down that road? Absolutely. I believe God will set blessings in your life to see how you can handle them so you know if you can have more or not. But temptation's different. If all of a sudden you're married and, and you're feeling a little bit like slighted by your husband and wife and, and now there's a new relationship stirring and you think to yourself, well, God has a, allowed me to kind of have this relationship or this thing over here because it's helping me fulfill a need that I should get in marriage. That way I won't feel slighted. That is not God. That is Satan trying to tempt you so he can ruin your stuff. But we become more vulnerable to that Whenever we don't guard ourselves, rejection is difficult. Especially whenever you're rejected by the one that you're not supposed to be rejected by. So you're rejected time and time again, and all of a sudden these desires begin to stir in you. And then it turns into frustration. If you want your spouse sexually and they refuse to give themselves to you sexually, that is a very difficult thing. Because Paul even says, it's better to marry than to burn. He talks about sexual desires that we're going to have them. And then all of a sudden, if you're held at arm's length constantly, you have those desires perpetually gaining. You have no outlet. Those change to bitterness. Those change to frustration those change to aggravation oh come on you know i'm telling the truth and then we wonder why are you not around me why can i not come up and hug you why can i not come up and and, and flirt with you why can i not sit on the couch with you and watch an entire hallmark movie while we hold hands because all that stirs up desires in me and it's a constant reminder of what i can't have and i'm trying to live a holy life on this side and i can't hardly live a holy life and if i got these desires constantly and satan knows that and it happens emotionally too you keep your spouse emotionally at arm's length and you can do that for a little while but there's a crack in the dam and satan will find it and then that rejection emotionally. Well, I wonder why my partner, why my, my spouse is not coming to me and letting me hug them and hold their hand. Because all you want is the physical side and you build a wall between your emotions and theirs. And they can't handle it. They become vulnerable. You don't make yourself vulnerable and you can only do that. That's the reason why Paul is sitting down here and helping us understand this. James chapter 4, verse 1. This is James. So that's the reason why Paul says, listen, you gotta, there's rights that you have to lay down in this thing. But man, if we'll do it God's way, we can have that atmosphere. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Think for me for a second. How many fights... 
that you could point back to in your marital life stemmed from some passion that was not met. And it was a frustration or an aggravation that kind of grew and grew and grew. James lets us know, listen, these are at war inside of us. And we have these warring feelings that we have to guard ourselves on. We have to do the very best that we can for our spouse to be submitted to them in the way that they need it. I don't know what your spouse needs. You know what your spouse needs, but we don't. And these feelings that war make us vulnerable. And God is trying to help us understand that if we'll be like that woman, and as husband and wife, we'll come into the house and we'll throw ourselves at the feet of Christ. And we'll say, God, not only do we want to submit to you, but we want to submit to each other. Show us how to do that. Our heart is in the right place. And I want to tell you today, I don't know where your marriage is, but God in the middle can change it and can strengthen it. You don't have to settle for a second-rate marriage. But you've got to have to give it all you got with your first-rate effort. So we submit ourselves, hoping to find that atmosphere. I learned something about atmosphere a while back. I walked into an individual's house, and they had classical music playing. If you're not into that, that's fine. But they had classical music, and it was just peaceful to me. So I went home. I said, you know what? I'm going to try this, see if it works or not. We love to read it at my house, and I have my wife to thank for that. I was not a reader until I really married her, and she's turned me into a reader. It's awesome. But what we did is we set the atmosphere in our home, turned on the fire of our, our fireplace, our little gas fireplace, turned off the TV, found a classical music station, and we just read while we listened to it in peace. And we found ourselves doing that 40, 50, 60 minutes an hour, and then what I found is, as a family, we would crave that time over and over and over again, and we'd go back and find ourselves, because it was a peaceful, calm atmosphere. What I learned from that is when you change the atmosphere, you'll begin to crave it more and more and more. I know it's hard right now, but listen to me from my heart. If we will guard each other, if we will love our wives and respect our husband, it creates that atmosphere of love and peace and calmness, and you'll want to grow and grow and grow. But it doesn't just happen, does it? And let me encourage you, your marriage might be as good as it's ever been. It can get better. Do your very best that we're not going to allow anything to get in between us. There's going to be no cracks in our dam. We're going to submit to God, but we're also going to submit to each other in love and respect. I want you to know there's hope. Would you stand up with me all across the auditorium? This is how we're going to dismiss this morning because this gets pretty difficult, okay? I don't know where you're at in your marriage, so I'm going to ask everybody, would you slip out, and we're going to dismiss from the front one more time together. Grab your spouse's hand, wait on them, come down front. Y'all stand together. Stand together as you come down front. I don't know what's going on, and we're not here to judge you, but we want you to know that you can have a great marriage. We want you to know that it's not the end, that restoration can happen. Now, as all the couples come down, I want to release everybody else just to come down and stretch out your hand if you would, and let's get around these couples and, 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 and build a little bit of support behind them, okay? 
if you're thinking about getting married, you should probably make your way up here to the very front, okay? And we're just going to pray for you. <laughs> yeah, people like moving out of the way, like, come on, you, you know, my spot, it's, it's crazy. My wife was telling me a story the other day as y'all walked forward. My wife said, Matt, I had a confrontation in my office. She said, I didn't realize it was confrontational, but some people around me knew that this person had an had, had a, a attitude of being confrontational from time to time. She said, I didn't think about it. I went into my office, and I stood toe-to-toe with this person, and we worked out our conflict, and we got it worked out. You know what that means? That means they did it her way. I'm just letting you know, okay? That's what that means. Okay? Now, she said, Matt, I emerged from my office and came out, and she said, I came out to three ladies. One had a hammer in their hand. One had like an office supply stapler or something in their hand. And then another lady had a can of wolf spray. They were like, Mary, we have your back in case anything was going to happen. She said, I didn't even know, man. She said, there were some things happening in there, people having my back. Listen, you don't always know what's going on that God's preparing you for. He's got your back. He's got some things happening for your marriage that you don't even see yet. You just got to trust him and do it his way. God, we're going to go into this and do it your way, and I know that you're going to have our back. You've got some people praying. You've got some people blessing me that I don't know. And God, we're going to have a greater marriage than we've ever had before. Can we believe that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for these wonderful people. Oh, we bless them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We bless their marriage, God. We thank you, Father, for your great grace. And for the ones who have that strong marriage, thank you that better days lie ahead. Better and better and better. For the ones, God, who are saying we're trying our best and it's rocky, we don't want to lose this thing. Oh, God, that your great grace would invade the middle of it, God, and you would build them up. Oh, if there's some that thinks, God, I think we're out. This is all we've got. God, that you would work a mighty miracle in their life and their hearts. We know that you can. You're getting things ready, God, that we don't even see. Thank you for the blessings that rest upon these wonderful people. God, we pray as they go out that they are the light that you've ordered them to, God. Let them have the greatest, strongest marriages for themselves, for their kids, for this community, God. It is your divine plan. And for the many things that are represented in this auditorium, God, sicknesses, financial situations, emotional situations, God, we pray that you just move in a mighty way. Move in a mighty way on their behalf, God, in a way that only you can move. Thank you for these wonderful people. Bless them. Keep your hand upon them. Let their marriages continue to get stronger and stronger, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you can receive that, can you say amen? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.